0: It's that time again. Welcome to Blazing Business Trails. My name is Sarah Paul and we'll be discussing the challenges and issues for leaders in the professional, legal, real estate, recruitment and educational services.
1: And my name is Corvindah Hari. On each show we invite industry experts, analysts and people from across business services to come and share their ideas, perspectives and learnings.
0: Cully, a brilliant show all around data and getting the most out of it with great guests.
1: So in this episode, Sarah, we're going to hear from Andrew Foster, Director of Financial Information Europe at Dentons and our very own Felicity Starr, Regional Sales Director at Tableau. And it was a great conversation because what we heard from Andrew is how an organisation like Dentons is leveraging the power of data to drive better insights and making more informed current-based decisions and how their investment with Tableau is really driving that. And Sarah, we, somehow Felicity managed to get the conversation onto Nick Cage cheese and swimming pools. Let's have a listen.
0: So Andrew and Felicity, welcome to Blazing Business Trails.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah.
0: Thank
3: you, Sarah. Cully, thanks
0: for having us. So let's kick this off, shall we? It is the detail is in the data. First question for you, Felicity. Um, Clive Humby. OBE and British mathematician and entrepreneur in the field of data science back in 2006 said data is the new oil. Do you agree with this?
3: I feel like I'm on a university challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Do I agree with you? Uh, I do actually. I agree with you and I agree with with Clive as well. And um, I heard it say as well that not only is it the new oil, But it's also pretty worthless, just like oil, unless you can refine it. Um, And I think that's a really good point. You know, companies' data, especially nowadays, lives everywhere in so many different locations. You can, you have your data in CRM and ERPs and data warehouses, you know, you name it. So it's quite easy to feel perhaps overwhelmed by the sheer size of it. But it's important to remember that it's manageable and if you're going to have a successful business, you're going to need to use your data to back up your intuition, your gut and make sure that you're making business decisions based on data points.
0: Mm. Is, uh, Andrew, is, is data overwhelming, would you say?
2: Um, I think like Felicity mentioned, it certainly could be if you don't look at it with a sort of a logical approach um, and know what ultimately you want to do with the data. Um, It's far too easy nowadays. I think there's so many options and opportunities to gather and collect data that it could be tempting just to grab it all. And, you know, that'll be useful one day. But in actual fact, you need to exercise quite a degree of strategy, I think, around your data to make sure that it doesn't just get out of hand like that and become, as you say, overwhelming.
3: I just couldn't agree more in terms of, you know, the customers that we see who work with data and are really effective with data are they tend to be the customers who have worked out what their business questions are or their business need and then they ask the data those questions and they organize their data with that business need rather than just saying I want to view everything (laughs) because that's like boiling the ocean you know and it's going to take a heck of a long time and really if you don't know what you're asking or you don't know what your vision is is probably going to provide you with very little
1: that's a, a probably a great segue on that vision statement there to understand a little bit more about Andrew and Denton's, Andrew. So, Andrew, tell me a little bit about yourself and um, your role at Denton's.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Kelly. Um, yeah, well, I, I've been at Denton's for a number of years, about 14, I think now, and my role is the um, Director of Financial Information um, So for the European region. So, so what that essentially entails is... is looking after not only the finance systems but trying to drive them forward or operate them in such a way that the the firm can utilize um, the data that's embedded in them um, to make strategy decisions management decisions as well as just um, day-to-day operational stuff so that's where I've been for a while.
1: So things have changed over the last 14 years at Denton's then can you just uh, take us through what, what the how how data's evolved at Dentons in the last 14 years and how do you look at data today as you, you know, compared to what you looked at data even pre-COVID or even last year?
2: Yeah, well, it certainly has changed. And I think the, uh, I, th- I think that rate of change is just getting quicker and quicker and quicker. is um, allowing that to happen, almost forcing it to happen, really. Um, but when I started and, and probably for quite a few years while I have been there, the main focus often of data and analysis analysis in law firms has always been to look at what has been achieved, I think, and where we stand up against measures. Um, And the way it's changing, particularly since last year's um, pandemic situation, is that I think we're using it a lot more to drive forward decisions and drive forward and project what we're going to be seeing in the coming months and year or two years or three years, etc. So it's kind of just turning it around a little bit.
0: How big is Dentons? It's it's global company, isn't it?
2: Yes, we pride ourselves on being the biggest law firm in the world. Um, we've uh, got approximately twenty one thousand um, employees in total. Um, And we're covering, where was it? It changes very regularly. I think even this week we've announced two new tie-ups in two new countries that we hadn't been in. So um, we continue to grow regularly. But it's approximately, I think it's 78, 79 countries, something like that at the moment.
0: And in 78, 79 countries, you're obviously creating a lot of your own data as well. How do you how do you manage that? How do you how to, what's Denton's approach to managing that data?
2: Well, because it comes in from so many sort of different sources, the the only way that we can really get a sort of overview is to centralise key management information. So whether that's a um, a, what would you call it, a data repository in Canada or US or wherever. Um, and we essentially feed in data from all over the globe. And then at that point, we use various metrics tools um, to uh, to just try to analyse that in the best possible way.
0: Felicity, across businesses like legal and other professional, real estate, recruitment and educational services, is data is vital. I, I can imagine very much like Denton's. But what would you say are the greatest challenges around it?
3: It's a, such a great question, um, and I will try and force myself to be succinct and not go on for for an hour or two because there's there's just so many different facets to that. In the business services industry, I would say the the topic of conversation that I'm having at the moment with most of my customers is around um, the setup of the data. So I know that um, you know, for example, you know, if you have a viewpoint and you're interrogating the data to make sure that that viewpoint is answered then that's a really poor place to start because you know you can't have companies that are building assumption based on their gut and then outsourcing the analysis to make sure that, that what they're saying is right you know there's no value there um, and so the best the best way to overcome this is to empower the entire companies you know empower enable business users to ask the questions to ask their own questions and give them the ability to ask their questions of the data directly. And then because it's, it's in, you know, in context to what they do and their expertise, they can see the outliers or false or hidden variables. Um, Because otherwise you end up getting into this sort of talk about correlation versus causation. And that can lead to many different sort of business mistakes um, so it's important that actually when you're accessing the data, that it's in context to your business need and to what you're looking at, and that you, you've you got the experience and understanding to see what is relevant and what is an outlier or a falsehood.
2: I think, um, yeah, I totally agree with you there, Felicity. It's um, it's something that we're trying to do in Dentons is, is breed a, a culture of data, um, and so you can obviously have the experts, you know, we call them experts in quotes, but the experts who know everything about the data and they've got those preconce- preconceptions also about what it's going to tell them. But it's only once you open up the data and make it available either through visualization or tabular model or whatever, but it's when you open it up that other broader perspectives come in and then the data, I think the essence, the truth of the data starts to come through. And I think that's quite exciting because then you, you're just breeding much more opportunity and the more people start to feel the data is useful to them the more they want to use it Um, that will like I mentioned earlier on with advancing technologies I think that's what's going to just get quicker and quicker and the adoption will speed that
3: up. On that point you know if you've only got a select handful or a few people who have access to the data and ask the questions they want to ask they'll get what they need they'll get their answers but it's not really equal across the business, is it? It's kind of almost excluding a lot of people unless you're giving sort of data ubiquity to, to use that sort of term. Um, and, and, you know, going back to this sort of causation versus correlation, there are some amazing data points on the web that are just hilarious. You know, for example, my favorite one is Nicolas Cage. You know, there's a direct correlation of something like 70% between... When Nicolas Cage stars in a film, the number of people who accidentally fall into a pool and drown goes up. So since 1999, there is a direct correlation between films that go out with Nicolas Cage and how many people drown in the pool. Now, we're not experts of Nicolas Cage, but I can pretty much guarantee that it's got nothing to do with Nicolas Cage being in films and people drowning. But if (laughs) you're looking at that data through that way, you can you can say, you could you make make an assumption either way, right? So that's there's some really interesting points there. There's another story about um getting tangled up in bed sheets and eating too much cheese. People who get tangled up in bed sheets eat too much cheese. Of course they've got nothing to do with each other. But if you're mapping on data points onto each other, you can actually bring up some quite strange hypothesis so watching yeah. a
1: nicholas cage film in bed with cheese jumping out of a window with a bed sheet <laughs> tied around you is
3: so dangerous that
1: is dangerous but coming back up coming back on topic i just want to pick up on something that you said there fliss and go back to andrew on this and you know for, for a legal company who are your users talk us through who's using your data and how is it empowering their day or their week right? what are they making use of that data for
2: yeah no absolutely and it's a it's a great great question because the data can be targeted i guess I would say in the, in the nicest way at different sort of sections of the firm so uh, our partners are a, a great consumer they're in the, they're probably one of the more recent consumers of self uh, what i want to call it like self-service data so they are Learning, or they're developing the taste and the appetite for being given data dashboards and being able to drill in or slice some of those data points to to the to do the research they want to do when they want to do it. Um, the other ones that uh, the other big users of our data is obviously our management team who particularly in this last year have needed to make sort of assumptions or projections rather of what's going to occur, what's going to happen in the market, which practice group areas may be hit more greatly by COVID restrictions than others, um, which regions, which countries are being greatly impacted um, or more impacted than others. Um, Equally looking at countries which may ride the wave far more comfortably so we can shift resources to those countries. So, those are the different, you know, the main different sets, if you like, of uh, core groups that would use the data.
0: So, Andrew, how were you managing your data before you joined forces or partner with with Tableau?
2: The managing the data is one aspect, I would say, but the biggest benefit we've got from our relationship with Tableau is the the visualization or the presentation of the data. Uh, it's prior to that, we would have had. You know, like many law firms, many firms, businesses, law or not, we would have used Excel. You'd have had graphs. Uh, we may have built some web applications which um, are by necessity and by their nature a lot slower to develop than a nice Tableau dashboard, which you can ping up very swiftly indeed. So, yeah. So with that in mind, I think that's been the the biggest um, benefit from our relationship is being able to make that data accessible uh, to a much broader range of um, our, our colleagues and users.
3: Uh, I, I can add to that point, actually, um, with London Council um, during this this COVID period, um, the council went from having data everywhere in, in just like you say, Andrew, different Excel sheets, data stores, all sorts of things. And we were able to get their team up and running using um, Tableau within four weeks um, from using nothing to to fully fledged system platform up and running. And they had a live dashboard, um, which then enabled them to make serious changes to their um, processes which then has resulted in the in a reduce uh, in a reduction of fatality rates and also you know a better way of managing some of the the systems that were um, required during the COVID uh, lockdown. So you know there's some some serious benefits of being able to have access to data or, or being able to see the data rather than it hiding away in spreadsheets.
0: Is is Tableau for everyone as well, Felicity? Is I mean, what size companies are you working with at the moment?
3: Absolutely, everybody. Um, there's, there's some great stats. I think it takes one tenth of a second to be able to understand and get a sense of a scene in front of us. You know, 50% of our sensory receptors are in our eyes. It's, as humans, it is so much easier to understand and make sense of things that are visual to us you know, in comparison, reading through spreadsheets and numbers and, and that logic, it just takes more time. So so not only is Tableau easy to then understand data uh, as a user, but the best thing about it, in, in my opinion, is that you can make your own dashboards. Um, I'm not somebody who is brilliant with technology, Um but I can make myself my own Tableau dashboards, um, <laughs> which which is actually really motivating and it makes me very effective as sales leader. You know, gone are the days whereby I ask my team, what opportunities are you working on? When are they going to close? Um, what is the amount? Who is the stakeholder? The conversations, we, we don't have those conversations because we're now having the conversation about how, how can I help you? What needs to be done in addition? You know, there's no messing around on what the call will be for the quarter because my dashboard has got a pretty strong, robust view of that. And that creates a really healthy tension between myself helping the team and then also having a real grasp on what my business is going to be doing for the quarters and then back to the shareholders, etc. So yes, Tableau's for everybody.
1: Let's change tracks a little bit here then, Andrew. Um, You talked earlier about your geo presence, 21,000 employees around the world. Data sovereignty is obviously a big question when it comes to data and data security. We'll we'll talk about security in a second. But what's Denton's view on data sovereignty and sharing data across geos? Uh, and have you got anything specific, policies in place to allow you to do that?
2: It's such a sort of um, a bed of nails, really, I think, sort of data security, sovereignty, residence, etc. They're all aspects um, that are designed to make you think very long and very hard about what you're doing with your data. Uh, and that's a good thing nowadays, I think, because we've seen in the press it's far too easy for data to escape. Let's say data leakage isn't something any, any of us want. Um, the policies particularly that we have in place across the globe – um, we, we set them up essentially to ensure that they allow a business to continue um, freely and effectively um, but also that we are mindful of the limitations um, we, we tend not to keep data we don't we aim in policies not to keep data beyond what is required of it its usage etc so um, so we have departments that are set up to ensure that that is complied with and we um, yeah, generally, we seem to have a fairly good grip on it at the moment. Um, but you can constantly have to worry, you know, worry about it and keep watching it.
1: And how does um, regulation drive your policies? Because I guess policies in the UK is different to North America, which is different to Central Europe and the Far East, right? So you've got governing laws defining and controlling your data retention policies, for example.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And we generally would take um, the source jurisdiction of the data. Um, and if I was to say that we were to store, say, data that's generated in the UK or in Europe, that's going to be stored in um, Canada, for example, then we have to just ensure that our regulations and our local general councils are comfortable with what the, where the data's been transferred to, where it's then residing, what it's being used for, the purposes for that data, and then potentially, you know, also how long we're keeping it for. So so it's generally, it's driven from the jurisdiction outwards.
1: So let's talk uh, security, first. I know this is a topic to your heart, right? But data security, I mean, it's, it's important for customers, right? Uh, I'm sure it is for Denton, and we'll hear from Andrew, but what are you what how how do you advise customers to secure their data?
3: The importance of security is vital to the success of business. The challenge with security is that how do you enable a secure company and secure your data whilst being seamless to your operations and your employees? You know as Andrew said, you've got to have security that doesn't hinder the business. You know, and I've, I've heard security being referred to like an immune system. You know, your, your, your security is as strong as your, the weakest link. Um, I think what Tableau do and what Salesforce do is they have a strategy uh, which encourage the employees, everybody, to be the custodians of data. And I think that's really, really important. When we see and we talk about the fact that you've got data going everywhere in and out of companies now, it's not, it doesn't have a perimeter like it used to, you know. So so bearing that in mind, although you can use the technology to support you, and of course we have that embedded within Tableau and, and Salesforce, et cetera, um, I do believe that it does need to be a cultural lead as well, whereby, like I said, the employees are custodians of the data and they understand the importance of what they're working with.
2: That's such an important point, though, isn't it? Everybody understands and has a deep awareness of the, the, uh, the, uh, the value of what they're holding in their data and where they're putting it or leaving it.
3: Yeah, and maybe that's why security and data are constantly or should constantly be interlinked. You know, because the value that you get from the data is enhanced if everybody has access to it. And yet at the same time, if everybody has access to it, your risk for a data leak goes up. But then you're not going to understand the business opportunities unless the people within their different areas of expertise, whatever they're focused on, have access to that data. So you can't really just say, right, the exec C-suite minus one are going to have access to the data because their expertise is going to be in their field, right? They're going to be focused on the, the strategy, the vision, where they're going to. But then the lower levels of management really need to have access to data if they're going to improve their operations or their effectiveness. Um, so it's uh, it's a really complex but exciting place to be.
1: And that's, and that's a really interesting point, right? Because data in its rawest form is only as useful... To the person or the custodian that's looking at the data, right? Because they've got the business context to apply to the raw data. So, Andrew, a couple of questions came to mind as as we were just chatting about that topic around security. Is there somebody in Dentons who is the custodian or the responsible person for data? Do you have a chief data officer, for example? It's an
2: interesting one, actually. That that we have obviously the CISO, um, but we I don't think yet. I would say that we've got to the point where we have a chief data officer who is purely looking at the data um, on its own. And and I actually think that, you know, I have raised this a couple of times with some of my my C's, C-suites, just to sort of say it's, it's a position that we really ought to be learning about and, you know, potentially implementing soon. Um, we are seeing, we've talked about this value of data and I think, like Felicity, you mentioned, it's valuable and like with anything else that we value, we tend to protect it. Um uh, if we don't value it, we just don't you we know, don't protect it. We do value our data and we ought to be doing more more to do and do such
0: For this, who are your customers So we, we talk about uh, data officers um, CISOs. who who are your general um when you're marketing tableau who who you're trying to reach out to
3: Most people who are who are making business decisions because mm-hmm. if you're making business decisions. Uh, then therefore data can help you to make sure that they're effective and successful ones. Um, we tend to do a lot of work internally and externally. So use cases within sales, for example, to help people m- measure and monitor their opportunities and, and how they are uh, forecasting, et cetera. And then also you've got use cases within HR. So director of HR to understand how they... Um, employee engagement things like that how they're tracking Um, other use cases could be for example procurement Um, so so all of the main business functions or silos should I say Mm -hmm. within a business operation sales HR Um, what I get particularly excited about is something that we called embedded embedded tableau which is all about customer experience, um, which is surfacing the data to your customers. I th- uh, that's a huge growth, that growth area. I think it's 42 billion market opportunity, whereas internal analytics is only like 36 billion. I, I better check those numbers. Um, but I think that's where we're going, right? So for example, Amazon, I am an Amazon shopper and I'm so glad that my team aren't listening to me because I'm always talking about this. <laughs> but I spent thousands with Amazon and I did the subject uh, data access request and I got all my data back and I threw it in a Tableau dashboard just to see what I was spending, how much I was spending, you know, um, what was the seasonality of my spend? How did I compare to the public? Um, am I special? Joke, that is was joking. Um, but that's fascinating information. And then Tableau showed me those answers. I will not, divulge. Oh come on, you I can't spend. stop there. You can't stop there. You've lined
1: <laughs> this up now. Come on. But, what, what no, come was what on. was top of the what was top of the pile? Come on, Fliss.
3: over the past eight years I've spent just shy of a thousand pounds on paintbrushes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Are you an artist?
1: Got, got a
2: big house.
3: Yeah, or, I, d- I do, or painting it, the I paint, do, decorating. I do like to do a little bit of painting. But my my point before I go completely off onto Amazon is wouldn't that be a wonderful embedded analytics opportunity? You know, if Amazon was serving up that information to all of the users, the, the stickiness and the attraction of then working with Amazon and seeing, I've got a better example, books. Every year for the past 10 years, I've read 16 books every year on my Kindle. Amazon told me this. I had no idea why I was that consistent, to be honest. I, I like to think of myself as a little bit more energetic and wild. This last year with COVID, I've read 36 books. So Amazon data has told me that through the dashboard. So that's where I think we could go with our customers. You know, how do you use your data, Andrew? Do you give it to your customers?
2: Well, it's a yeah I mean we we are giving it to our customers and I like that uh, the term you use their stickiness because I've used very the exact same word myself um, when talking about how we retain clients um, not necessarily by making it harder for them to consider alternate legal providers but making sure that whatever we offer them sets us apart from our competitors um, one of those services that we do deliver at the moment is a just a, a dashboard if you like for want of a better description of their um their inventory their 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 spend with us either whether it's year-to-date spend or you know historical spend or or what's on the clocks that's not been billed yet they get the opportunity to then see um you know they, they can manage their budgets they can see that the outstanding invoices for example that we have with them um and it might not be very it sounds quite dry when you're comparing it to books and I think pain brushes. but it's it's about the the data for the audience.
1: Andrew in, in your world that probably is a difficult conversation to be having with your customers right because you've been a very closed or, or the legal profession has been very closed in terms of disclosing its costs and the mm. expenditure that its clients are running up so having those open conversations has that allowed you to interact with your clients better? Has that opened you up to more client uh, adoption? What are you seeing because of that openness and that uh, visibility of data that you're giving them?
2: Yeah, well, I don't doubt that it wasn't something that we really wanted to do from the start. It's been born by a, um, a business drive, you know, a, a client-based or client-driven drive for greater transparency um, on, as you say, costs or... Um, the, the fees that we're charging to them. Um, but I think as we embrace it more, and again, it's this technology pushing it and driving it. As we embrace it more, it does create a better relationship with a client. Um, some clients demand it from the outset. Some just like the look that, oh, you've given us something additional, something new, you must be, a, uh, you, know, you, you are a progressive law firm, you are thinking about me as a client, you do have my best interests at heart. So there will be future, there, there will be the next iteration of that but right now i do see this as being one of those key offerings that um, law firms can give to their clients and create that better relationship
0: and felicity i'm going back to your amazon case actually i i find it fascinating that they can tell me how much i've contributed to particular charities through their smile uh, application that they have and on responsible business how does data and analytics help with the sustainability side
3: That is such a great question and uh, an area that I'm really fascinated in. And uh, and I'm really surprised that you asked me because I'm currently creating a dashboard <laughs> that sh- that shows me my carbon footprint on what I've bought from Amazon and how many packages it actually arrives in. So I'm very, very fascinated in the fact that I'm not shy with the fact that I use Amazon but actually it's terrible really the amount of packaging that comes with it every single time and let's just go back to the joke about the paintbrushes I order a paintbrush I then get like two cardboard boxes wrapped in plastic and all the rest of it so um with regards to the sustainability aspect um of Amazon and data that's what I'm personally looking at um When I think about the, how you can actually use data on a wider scale, I think it's all about getting a baseline. I I think we've got the passion from the people and companies to make the changes. And I think we all want to. So that's number one, that's done, right? We're all facing in the right direction. I think now what I'd like to see Uh, What I'd love to do actually more with my customers is help them create the dashboards that are getting the baseline of their sustainability, their carbon footprint, where they're going, what they want to do. Ask those questions, like I said in the beginning, of where they want their business to be in five years. What's their goals? And then we start there. And then as Andrew said, once we've got that baseline, the data starts to introduce new ideas and then you can ask new questions and then it sort of expands from there. Um I'm not sure if I answered your question but it was a good fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you good, took a very good stab at it. No, that was very good. Um and I mean Andrew how has having that managed data how has that helped during the pandemic?
2: Oh, um it helped humong- humongously is that a word? Enormously. Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> Yes, no, it helped a great deal, Um, mainly because, as I said, through the pandemic, for for most law firms, I think, certainly sizable ones, they were very, you know, analysing on a a daily, I would say a daily basis, the... um, the jurisdictions where we were losing money potentially or where we could see a dip, we were very, very keen to see as soon as a dip potentially in instructions came in or as soon as a dip in a, a recordable hours came in or the invoices were not being paid at quite such a pace. This allowed us really to then reflect and to state, take decisions on where to move staff or resources to, You know, which which parts of the business can we just either temporarily shift people to just to deal with, uh, to take out the effect internally and the big the big benefit for us was that we didn't actually lose staff because of the current um turn down the pandemic we were able to repurpose resources and ride it out um very well
1: so we talked about security we talked about data who's the custodian of data at dentons do you have a chief data officer i know fliss and i talked to lots of cdo's but Who owns the data at Denton's? Well, I think the the data
2: essentially at the moment is really held by the um, business services departments, the leads at the moment. So if it's a CIO, a CFO, a marketing director, etc., I, I think we're moving to the stage where we probably want to put a, an umbrella roll over those and have a, CSA, um, a chief data officer who can sort of straddle all of those business services and understand the impact of data in one business service sector and uh, business service and how it impacts or doesn't impact
1: other business sectors. Mm-hmm
0: when we started this podcast i never thought that nicholas cage would actually come into them
1: let's not forget cheese and swimming pools so exactly, Cage, I know. cheese and swimming pool what but what a great podcast it certainly was two great yeah. speakers
0: and we'll be back with another great set of guests very soon from cully and myself
1: this is blazing business trials
0: join us next time for our business services podcast brought to you by salesforce